You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Sweden in Focus, the locals podcast looking at the week's most interesting talking points. We are recording this episode on Thursday, the 27th of October. This week, we'll briefly hear about an escaped snake, a newly found shipwreck, the poisonous mood in Sölvesborg after the Sweden Democrats were ousted from their stronghold, why Jimmy Okason won't be attending the Nobel dinner, and why 27 seconds of silence made the news in Nortelje. We're also welcoming a guest, the tech worker Kat Zoe, who came under furious attack on Twitter after her post about xenophobia in Sweden went viral. And finally, we'll discuss the results of a survey we had on the site this week, asking how welcome readers feel in Sweden after the election. And we'll listen to a chat I had with one of the respondents. I'm Paul O'Mahony, and I'm joined here in Stockholm by James Savage and Kat Zoe, and in Malmö by Becky Waterton and Richard Orange. Hello, everybody. Hello. 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 Hi. Hello. And Kat, if I can start with you, we'll be hearing a lot more from you later. But can I just ask you first to tell listeners a little bit about yourself and why you moved to Sweden? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Kat Zoe and I moved out to Sweden almost three years ago. And I was telling James earlier, kind of by accident. I hadn't ever planned on coming to Stockholm or Sweden. Um, I actually thought I applied to Spotify in New York City when I was living in Austin at the time and thought that for two interviews until they were like, hey, we're going to schedule the onsite and it's over in Stockholm. And I was like, why would it be there? And then I realized, okay, um, this is how it's going. So yeah, I ended up in Stockholm kind of just, you know, because of that. And I was like, might as well try out this new place. I don't have many friends that go over to Sweden. Not many Americans end up here, at least not in my circles. And so came out here just before the pandemic, you know, really hit Europe, um, January 2020 for Spotify. And yeah, I'm a designer in tech. I'm no longer at Spotify, but I still work in the tech industry as a designer. And on the side, I work on my own project called Design Ethically. Great. Thanks very much for that, Kat. Uh, A little public service announcement now that especially goes out to anyone listening when this episode goes out on Saturday, because that is the day the clocks go back. So at 2am on Sunday, you'll be granted an extra hour to contemplate the meaning of life or stay in bed an extra hour or whatever you want to do with it. You might also want to stock up on sweets because although Halloween is officially on Monday, A lot of children in Sweden tend to go out trick-or-treating the weekend before and it's advisable both nights to be prepared to go into hiding or welcome the ghosts and ghouls with open arms, whichever you prefer. Okay, on to some of the stories 
making the news this week. First up, a very big and very venomous snake escaped from its terrarium at the Skansen Wildlife Park in Stockholm. What's the story here, Richard? And should we be absolutely terrified? Um, A little bit, I think. It's a 2.5 metre king cobra, which uh, they're calling Severs, which means um, Sir Hiss, which is the name of the snake in Robin Hood, which is a Disney film. But anyway, it's uh, two and a half metres long and it escaped on Saturday. And briefly, I think on Saturday or on Sunday, they encountered it somewhere in the ceiling of the aquarium and since then they've been trying to catch it for the last three or four days and they still haven't managed to and uh, they've tried everything they've been laying out flour to see where it crawls they've been leaving out dead rats to try and lure it out and now they've got a new search technique which is to not search at all do absolutely nothing (laughs) and the hope is that it will it will then I think they realized that all the commotion was driving it into the sort of dark and dank corners. But is it dangerous? Uh, I mean, the, the, the answer is the snake itself is very dangerous. Um, it, apparently, they produce enough venom to kill an elephant or 20 people. Oh, so they're like um, pretty much the most dangerous snake in the world. But uh, Jonas Wallström, who is the kind of the head of the aquarium, he, he has been saying that it's actually a very peaceful snake. So even though it's extremely dangerous, it, it they're unlikely to bite you unless you kind of tread on it or, yeah. or disturb it or something. They said they're relatively certain that it's still in the building, which to me is no, no comfort at all. They've renamed it Houdini, haven't they? After, after it sort of escaped through the light fitting and this video of it, it's incredible the way it got out there. If anything changes in this story, if they if they catch it between now and Saturday when the episode goes live we'll post a, a link in the show notes and there was a really fascinating find this week Becky off the coast of Stockholm near the island of Vaxholm what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so maritime or marine archaeologists have discovered a 17th century warship, the long-lost sister vessel of the Vasa which is uh, this famous ship that was found in, well it wasn't really found. People knew it was there. But this famous ship, there's a museum dedicated to the Vasa. And this ship that they found is called Eplet, built by the same shipbuilder as the Vasa. It did actually manage to get out at sea. The Vasa never actually got to sea. It kind of capsized after one kilometre. But the Eplet was, was at sea for quite a while. And um, it was actually specifically sunk in this strait near Vaxholm because they just decided that they didn't want to use it anymore. So they just Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it had a, a long and happy life, hadn't it? And apparently it was, the, so it was the same shipbuilder who knew that the Vasa was going to sink. So he specifically built Eplet wider. So like the, the actual shipbuilder that built Vasa knew it was going to sink when it was built. He kind of built this new one at the same time, knowing that it was going to be better. So I think wasn't the story that the king had said it should be wider, it should have an extra gun deck, and then it ended up capsizing because of the weight. Never listen to the king. (laughs) And I'm sure anyone who's listened to this podcast has been to the Vasa, but if you haven't, you must go because it is uh amazing even if you don't think you like history and stuff it's it just, is it's just a wow experience it's an incredible museum uh, we've spoken before about Solvas Boy a place long seen as the Sweden Democrats showcase municipality in Blekinge and they looked all set to consolidate their power after securing 39% of the vote in the local election in September but there was a twist in the tail this week and things got pretty nasty can you tell us more about what happened here James Solvas Boy it's not just a flagship municipality for the Sweden Democrats it's also the home 
municipality of its leader, Jimmy Orkesson, and the council has been led by his ex, Louise Eriksson, the mother of his child. Now, Sweden Democrats controlled sort of Selvas Boy together with the moderates. They had 39% of the vote, not quite enough to have full control, but with the moderates they did. But this week, the moderates pulled out of that coalition due to what the moderate leader in Selvas Boy, Kit Mortensen, described as a severe worsening of the climate of dialogue. They had a massive row, effectively. And so the moderates are like, we are not going to work with you any longer. And then the moderates went over and formed a coalition with the Social Democrats and the Centre Party and a local party called Sul. Yeah. And let's stay with the Sweden Democrats for a moment, since, as you said, they've had this, this massive breakthrough in national politics and they're now collaborating with the three parties in government. But their leader, Jimmy Okerson, won't be invited to the Nobel Prize celebrations this year. Why not, Richard? Well, they didn't spell out the reason, really, in the press release. What they said is that the prize rests on, you know, inverted commas, science, culture, humanism and internationalism. And I suppose the implication is that the Sweden Democrats don't reflect those values, especially not internationalism. But they haven't invited Jimmy Orkerson since the Sweden Democrats got into power in 2010. So he's never been invited and all of the other party leaders always are. So it's a position they took more than 10 years ago. And what they said in the press release is they saw no reason to revisit that. Becky, you mentioned last week that you had sold your apartment and uh, I cut you short in the edit because you started swearing about how traumatic it all was and we didn't want to get banned from podcast platforms. But you calmed down sufficiently to write an article with uh, six (laughs) tips for anyone planning to sell a property at the moment when prices are plummeting. And we'll put a link to the article in the show notes. But what would you say is the one best piece of advice people can find there? Um, don't sell your apartment. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. (laughs) And don't buy an apartment before you've sold your current one. I did that and I think me and everyone I know had sleepless nights because of it. Oh, that's incredibly stressful. Don't put your friends and family through the turmoil of you buying an apartment before you've sold your current one. And, th- and this is just because it's so difficult to get to shift apartments on the market because the market's so unstable. Is that is that the reason f- fundamentally? Yeah, we had, we had four months to sell our apartment and we nearly ran out of time. Great. Thanks, Ooh. Becky. And I should say that I was exaggerating for effect. Your swearing was relatively mild. Compared to mine. Compared to... (laughs) 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 So I basically spend half my time editing your your quotes, James. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Okay, and we'll conclude this news roundup now with 27 seconds of silence. Okay, not literally, of course, but an an interviewee's unusually long silence was in the news after the new moderate-led council took charge in the town of Nortelje this week. What can you tell us about this, James? So this was the deputy chairman of Nortelje Council's interview with SVT. His name is uh, Staffan Schoenhammer. And what happened is that uh, Nortelje Council had raised salaries for councillors by 27%. The mayor's salary was raised to 110,400 kroner a month. I mean, it's a whopping salary for for, for running a middle-sized commune outside of Stockholm. But obviously, when SVT went to interview this uh, deputy chairman of the council and they asked him, weren't there other things you could have spent the money on? He found it clearly really, really hard to come up with a decent answer. So he just stared into the camera and said nothing for 30 seconds. And I don't know, anybody who's... I mean, I've done quite a lot of live TV and it's the thing you fear most is that your brain just switches off and you can't think of something to say and particularly when you're when you're when you're faced with a really really tricky question a really difficult 
starts to justify like he was faced with. But he didn't even have a good response when he did come up with what one. What did he say when he came up with one? It was He, no, he was like, always. it's a question of priorities. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been better to just say no comment. Like. I mean, you can't, no comment. No comment is always the worst thing to say. I mean, the whole, the whole thing yeah. when you've got a question like that that you can't really defend is to waffle and waffle and waffle until the time runs out and then you've at least said something and then when people listen to it they're like well that didn't mean anything and then that's fine because what else are you going to say you can't defend it I saw that they'd gone back on this as well now though they they'd said that they were going to like reassess the the salary raise or something after all of the criticism yeah, they well, got I mean obviously when when a local council's salary discussions become national news you have to revisit it um, you know, they they weren't expecting yeah. this to go beyond perhaps the local newspaper. It was just an awful car crash interview, and I've watched it at least seventeen times. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's it's that it's that classic interviewer technique of yeah. just patience, just let people fall into their own trap, which I, I would never be able to do. I would immediately have interrupted with follow-on questions. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's an absolute classic showcase in how to do a TV interview. Okay, so if you're you're in Sweden and you've been on Twitter in the last week or so, you will more than likely have stumbled on our guest's feed because Kat Zoe found herself in the middle of an extremely heated debate after posting a series of tweets about her experiences of racism and xenophobia in Sweden. And I'm just going to read out the first tweet here to give listeners a sense of what the discussion was about. Having lived in Stockholm for nearly three years, I am completely unsurprised and wholly disgusted by the swing towards fascism in Sweden. As an Asian American woman, I have never experienced as much racism in my life until I moved here. This country is xenophobic as hell. And that's followed by a series of tweets detailing some concrete examples that we'll talk about in a minute. And that first tweet alone has had more than 150,000 likes and it's had thousands upon thousands of comments and retweets and quote tweets, some of which are supportive, others not so much. Before we get into the vitriol, Kat, what were you expecting when you wrote these tweets? Did you in any way anticipate how much attention they would get? Absolutely not. I Before this whole thing, you know, I didn't have that many followers. I had like, what, 1,400 followers and I, you know, tweet my stuff about tech ethics and two people would like it. So I really just expected that like a couple of my friends would see this and like talk about it with me. Um, and I rage tweeted it, you know, before I went to bed when I was in Seattle. So I wasn't even in Sweden when I tweeted this. And then lo and behold, the next morning when I wake up, it's just blown up. And I've never seen anything like this. I've never been in this kind of situation before. And so I was very surprised. Yeah. Can you talk about what that's like, like being in the eye of this Twitter storm? And has anything surprised you about the reactions? You know, I I think it's always surprising to see how extreme people can get and just how fast things spread within like a, a matter of a day I people were speculating that I was a spy for the Chinese Communist Party and are I, you <laughs> maybe <laughs> it's so a really shitty one <laughs> like, so um and it's just it, it that was really surprising I, I was just like what can they possibly make up about me apparently this apparently that like I'm part of some you know campaign to destabilize the country of Sweden which if one twitter thread can destabilize your entire country I'm sorry to break it to you but <laughs> you've got some problems to work on <laughs> um yeah so that was that was really interesting you know I I was I wasn't expecting to also get 
the amount of support that I did get. And that was very touching to me. And just to hear about how my story itself is not unique in any way. And like this kind of experience that I've gone through has is really common. And just the amount of DMs that I've received from people, the amount of people responding in the thread as well, sharing vulnerably what they've gone through uh, was very touching. And I didn't necessarily expect all of that. So you mentioned those sort of Chinese spy allegations. Can you just explain where that came from? You know, I don't even know who it was that started it. Um, I know it did get spread by a couple um, popular pundits or ex-politicians. I'm not really sure who they are necessarily. But uh, they, yeah, they, <laughs> they were saying that, oh, you know, it seems like Kat has a relative who, mind you, is not a blood relative. She's... Um, an aunt through marriage who is working in the Chinese government, which is true. And I've met this lady once. Um, she happened to be doing like her her colleagues and her were doing a um, some kind of event at my university when I was studying there. And my parents were like, oh, you should just, you know, say hi to this auntie of yours. And they found that because I wrote about it myself when I was in college. <laughs> it was on your LinkedIn page and they were like this is oh my god this is so incriminating she must be a spy she must have some kind of agenda and which is honestly kind of racist because I'm not from China I was born and raised in the US I'm Chinese and Japanese and like I have no intention of working for the government I've, and you know in my previous tweets like and in just people who know me know that I've been outspoken about the government and what they've done over there um, because my family has suffered quite a bit and so uh, yeah I, I just thought it was incredibly rich that they jumped to those conclusions um, mm. yeah and a lot of tweeters have focused on a video you posted of a woman who calls you Asian trash and suggesting that it looks fake. Can you tell us a little bit about that situation and how you respond to those claims? Yeah. So, I mean, that whole event happened in, in Sotermalm, very close to where I live, just like along Skwanagatin and Katsurinabangata area. And I was just walking my dog, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, across the street, I hear someone saying like, Asian trash with her dog. And just like, kind of like muttering it, but loudly, which causes me to look over. And I'm like, Who? In English. In English, but like with an accent. I'm not sure what the accent is. And so I look over and I'm like, what the hell? Like, And I confront this person. And so... That before, you know, the, the exchange that I posted, there's a whole exchange of me confronting her being like, what the hell are you saying? And she's like, are you American or are you Asian? And like, I don't care about your people. Like, you know, all this just disgusting stuff. And then I got some of that on, on video, actually. And then I posted the last couple seconds of it when she says that whole thing. It was just ridiculous. I was about to go meet some friends and then, you know, I came to dinner and I was like in a pissy mood because that whole thing had happened to me. After the exchange, though, two people did come up to me in the street and they were like, I'm so sorry. Like, And it, yeah, like the, the comments on Twitter... For the ones that didn't necessarily believe it, they were like, this is doctored or this is an actress that she's hired or this is a friend of hers who apparently dresses like a leftist, whatever that means. <laughs> I was just not really sure where they were coming from that. And they were like, this must be fake. She, you know, one of the uh, journalists, I use that in scare quotes because I don't think she is a journalist, Rebecca Uvel, she was like... 
that's not even how people would say a slur about Asians in Sweden. And I'm like, well, tell me how they would say it. <laughs> Can you tell us about um, the incident in the subway that you detailed uh, in your tweets and how it was dealt with by the police? Yeah, so that was messed up. I was leaving my friend's concert in Gamlestan around like 8pm on a February evening. So it was dark by that point and I was walking back home towards Södermalm and it was like I was right near the Gamlestan subway and these two men came up to me and cornered me against like a wall and just were like doing the whole like pulling their eyes back at me you know flipping me off just being very intimidating and getting into my face and they're big men like I, I'm you know not that tall in Sweden and so I was just like what the hell so many passersby like just walked up near us and and didn't do anything and then finally I had to call one person over and he came over temporarily to be like leave her alone and then walked away but they were still like stumbling around and I imagine they were a little drunk and then one of my friends later was walking me back home we went to the subway we ended up bumping into them again in the subway and they were just like so rowdy like one of them jumped through the gates without paying and stuff and that's where I got the photo and so that evening reported it to the police and you know included my friend who saw them being so rowdy and and horrible as a witness uh, in the statement and they basically the police basically strung me along for two months they were like we're gonna find an interpreter for you and that was like the first thing they said that they would do for me they never did and then my case was switched from one investigator to another and then I kept on checking in with them because they wouldn't update me. So I had to go email them. And finally, like two months later, they were like, actually, your case has been dropped. It's you know not enough evidence. And I, I'm guessing they wanted me to have a video of the men doing this stuff to me, which is rarely how like hate crimes work. Like It's not like we're just walking around always prepared to film, right? Actually getting some of these occurrences on film is a very rare thing. And so that was disappointing because, I, I mean... If they had that in mind, of you know, there's not sufficient evidence, they could have just told me that in the very beginning rather than, like, leading me on for so long. I felt like there was nothing I could do. And afterwards, like, I... It was really hard to find any organizations that kind of supported victims of hate crimes. And like in Sweden also, there's these laws that I was advised about of, you know, if you share photos and evidence or whatever online, that puts you at risk of like violating fortal or slander laws, which in the U.S. where I'm from, like that's not necessarily the same thing. Like, you know, if something like this happens, we bl- we put these people on blast immediately and then we let Twitter do its work, you know. And so I... I bit my tongue for the longest time thinking like you know okay I'll just wait and wait and wait and then one organization that I talked to the only one that I could find um brought over here and they were like just report it to the police again and again until they do something which I was already so tired by the first time around like I was like I don't I doubt they're gonna do anything new um, so I just put it, the photos up and I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> it's so exhausting <laughs> and it's so infuriating that nothing's being done. I think we'll, we might come back to that a little bit when we talk to Richard about um, the Locals article. A lot of people on Twitter are very upset about your conclusion that Sweden is xenophobic and want to draw a distinction between a xenophobic society and a place where a few bad eggs are racist. How do you respond to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think this is something that 
that kind of framing also happens in the U.S. and I'm sure in the U.K. or, you know, other places. So I think I, I want to make it very clear. In my tweet, I do not say that Zen- uh, Sweden is the most xenophobic country in the world. And I think I got a lot of backlash from that, um, saying like, oh, how dare she say that we're the most mm-hmm. racist country in the world. And then people included graphs of how Sweden is, in fact, the second least racist country in the world, which I like really question the methodology of that study. But um I want to be clear that that's not what I meant. I explicitly said this is a country where I personally have experienced the most racism in my own life, you know, and I'm coming from the U.S. I'm coming from pretty cosmopolitan places in the U.S. where, as you know, a community have kind of moved on past a lot of these basic microaggressions. We Our discourse around racism is a bit more advanced than what it is in Sweden. I think what this kind of knee-jerk reaction um, actually ties back to this notion of Swedish exceptionalism. It's the idea that like they've never really had to confront race up until recently in their history. And they they really kind of try to paint themselves as this like egalitarian society. They're like, of course, we're so equal. They grew up learning about how uh, their society is so egalitarian. And then when someone comes in and bursts that little bubble of theirs saying like, actually, in fact, you know, I've experienced a bunch of stuff. It really shocks them and offends them to their very core. And, you know, I think I, I challenge him in saying like, well, you currently have a government that is fundamentally in some ways racist and the policies that they're putting forth are fundamentally exclusionary and racist and and xenophobic. And so I'm not saying everybody in Sweden is a racist, but I'm saying they have indeed legitimized a society and legitimized a government that is pushing forward these ideas and making it very clear that there is someone who is an insider and then there's people that are outsiders and others. And so they can they can kind of interpret that as they will, but I I think the typical like pushing back that you hear about that is oftentimes an attempt to derail the conversation from the true problem. They're centering, you know, their own emotions and invalidating the experiences that a lot of people of color have experienced in this country. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. We wrote about your your story or your your tweets on, on The Local and we've had a lot of reaction as well. And we're going to talk about that a little bit now. Just going back to the, to the subway story, Richard followed up a little bit about that because we were also questioned on Twitter after Richard wrote this article and people said that we didn't do our due diligence and we didn't ask you about these things, which Richard actually had done. And Richard, can you tell us about the subway story? Because you followed up on those... Um, those guys, didn't you? I mean, I did because after Kat put the photos up on, on social media, a lot of people identified them, which is something the police hadn't managed to do. And so I rung one of them up, a Swedish guy, and I, I spoke to him on the phone and he didn't say that he recognised what had happened. He sort of said, oh, I think you must have the wrong number. But I, I, it was definitely him. And then I messaged him the accusations and then he didn't reply to any of my calls and he took his photo off his social media profiles 
And, you know, it's kind of gone to ground. So I would have loved to have had some response from him to, that would either back up what Kat says or not back up if he remembers. I don't think he would have admitted to it. No, absolutely. I wouldn't have expected him to. And I, and I, but I don't, I don't think the fact that he doesn't didn't reply proves that he... He did it, but I gave him the chance to reply, to justify himself, and he didn't. And also, I got in touch with the police, and they confirmed that Kat had reported a case of harassment in February, and that had been laid down through lack of evidence, and they thought that following it up would not produce any proof that this had happened. You know, there was no way of of proving that it had happened. And I also got in touch with this psychological defence agency, who are supposed to monitor, you know, international... Disinformation, uh, disinformation campaigns and they said that if this is disinformation it's not anything that that we're worried about there are two sort of issues here first of all is that a lot of people are in denial about there being widespread racism in sweden that is very clear from from the responses to this tweet people just don't want to believe it and they don't believe it and you know as we'll come to in a minute our unscientific but i think you know reasonably indicative survey shows that that is absolutely not true. I mean, there is lots of racism in Sweden. Lots of people have very similar stories to Kat's story. But I think the other thing is that it is really difficult in social media to know what's true and what's not. And I think that makes it, and to bang a drum for journalism, that's what makes it important that journalists, when something goes viral like this, check it out. Because that's the difference between rumour and truth. And, you know, we've we, I think on this, we have done our due diligence. We have identified at least one of the people in, in, in Kat's thread. We have contacted him. We have spoken to experts. We've looked at the police reports. You know, we've, we've done what we can to, 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 to try and prove or disprove what Kat's saying. And I think we've, I think we, I think we've proven that, 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 that you know, this is, this is for real. What, what other reaction has there been to the Locals article on Kat's story? I mean, there's been an. In, it's been a bit like sort of jamming a big stick into a wasp's nest. We've been there's been a huge amount of activity on so on Twitter. You know, some of it quite threatening and really aggressive, but also as a cat said, from some quite prominent commentators and debaters in Sweden. So Ivar Arpi, who's a very prominent right wing journalist who I've met, who's you know absolutely charming and very smart guy. He said that we had quote unquote inaccuracies in our article that revealed the real view we have of Sweden, which I think is quite chilling, actually. It's like it's saying, you have an agenda and and we know what you really think. I found that quite chilling. He said that I don't find her credible, which we quoted, but he sort of has made out in an email he sent to me that we were saying that he had accused her of being a spy, which he said he never did. I think his line is that he thinks that it's part of a sort of self-promotion exercise. And Rebecca Viedmo uvera said we hadn't asked her a single critical question, which is absolutely <laughs> untrue because we asked all, all the obvious questions when I spoke to her on, on the weekend. I don't think she's asked any critical questions. I think she's just made <laughs> assumptions. No, absolutely not. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Has she spoken? Has she, has she reached out she's to you? I've to? never heard from this lady. I didn't know who she was until I saw this article from her. Well, that says quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, for me, like I, I work in you know tech and design stuff, and like I, I focus a lot on that. This was just me venting, and I, I don't want to be known as the person that like talks about this horrible traumatic experience because I don't want to relive this that much. But yeah, I, I think it's funny that they. I'm trying to like become an influencer or something in this. Absolutely not. I just want to live a safe life in Stockholm, in this city. And I think most people who talk out about this stuff just want that. We just want to have peace. We want to find yeah. a community and we want to not be bothered about looking different. There was one of um, this really is just reminding me of one of the 
email responses we got. And I, I have contacted this person and, you know, asked if we can use what they've written. So it's not a personal email or anything. She's a Japanese woman who had experienced kind of a traumatic experience in an Ica. I'm grateful that you're covering my stories along with many others who encounter racism in Sweden. I'm still traumatized by the experience and still on therapy, so I'd like to stay anonymous. After the incident, I felt so powerless as there was not much done by the authorities. I felt I did not matter, so this means so much to me and I really appreciate that you're talking about this. And I mean, this is kind of echoing so many people that got in contact with me saying like... There was another lady, an Australian, who her family are mixed race. Her daughter is is mixed race and had had been experiencing a lot of race based sexual harassment to the extent that she'd she'd moved away from Sweden. She'd moved to the to the UK instead, and she wrote. Sweden is a wonderful country and we've met so many truly amazing Swedes while living here that I have complete faith that society will find its way towards harmony. But my heart goes out to young women like Kajo who have been the pioneers forced to open society's eyes to what is truly going on. Her bravery in speaking out should be celebrated. It should be a catalyst for a real discussion about what values Sweden wants to promote. So many people were saying that like, I resonate completely with what she said. This is completely true. Like the fact that this story and this this kind of viral set of tweets has affected people's lives in this way should really be telling you that there's an issue with racism in Sweden. 500 responses, response after response after response saying, yes, I'm a person of colour who lives in Sweden and I experience racism or I have experienced racism on, on numerous occasions. A few people saying, a few people, just for just a balance, a few people saying, I'm a person of colour and I haven't experienced racism or putting it the, the inverse i've only experienced racism a couple of times in sweden did people react differently but the, the most people saying most people who are people of color saying i've i've experienced racism in sweden we also asked people what their residence what residency they had in sweden and the largest group by far was people on work permits so this is this is kind of immigrants that sweden really really needs for the economy even the moderates and the sweden democrats say that they want phd students and they want engineers and people working in IT. We've interviewed them and they say they, they always say that. But they have to be aware that the rhetoric and some of the policies that they're, they're pursuing now are being heard and they're putting people off. And, um, it's, not, and it's not just them either. It's mm -hmm. also the Social Democrats. They've moved their rhetoric in that direction too. This is a problem and they should think about it quite carefully, I think. So we'll discuss these findings in more detail soon. But first, let's hear from one of the respondents, Kashyap Harasamadram from India, who I spoke to a little bit earlier this morning. I moved to Sweden maybe two years ago um, to pursue a PhD at the Department of Technology and Society at Lund University. I'm researching AI transparency and consumer trust. So you responded to the locals survey this week and you answered that you were slightly negative about Sweden's new government. You feel less welcome since the new government was elected. And when we asked to what extent do you agree that Sweden is a xenophobic and racist country, you answered that this was neither true nor false. Can you explain why that was your answer? I, mean, I think it's kind of difficult to, to make a blanket statement in that sense about Sweden in general, because there's all types of Swedes and it really depends on who you run into um, and what kind of situation uh, you are in. Uh, for me in particular, um, as I kind of said in the survey, as a PhD student, I tend to like run into academic um, professionals and even in businesses, I tend to run into people that, that are kind of pro-international um, people. And you mentioned that microaggressions are common. Can you explain what you mean by that? 
Yeah, um, like yesterday, for example, and, and it's funny that this happened just yesterday, I was walking my flatmate's dog around uh, the block and Swedes in general tend to be more sort of friendly when they they are walking their dog and you are walking your own. It seems to be socially okay to talk to each other, which you wouldn't in other situations. So I had this one person kind of stop and try to talk to me. And I kind of politely said, I don't yet speak uh, Swedish um, very well. And the kind of tone in which they approached me kind of completely changed. And you could notice that. Uh, yeah. And then the conversation was just kind of cut short. And then she left. It's kind of these very small things which don't really mean much. And, and it's really hard to say where that person was coming from as well. But in, in like the lived experience of a person who was in that moment, you kind of, you you pick up on that. It's a bit of a small discomfort, if you will. Yeah. Sure. You mentioned as well in the survey that you have occasionally suspected malicious intent. Can you give maybe some examples of that? It's not necessarily in person, I will say. It's more so online where you will Say, for example, if you're on YouTube on a video about Sweden mm. and you've left a comment about something and then there have been times where like I've got replies that said, go back to where you're from. And so it, it does seem to be a much more pervasive thing uh, on the Internet than in person. Yeah. And yeah, as I said, you answered that you felt less welcome since the new government was elected. Why is that? Well, it's more so on a broad societal level, right? Like I kind of moved to Sweden. I moved away from Denmark specifically because the social narrative about foreigners in Denmark had become quite difficult um, to deal with. And and back then it was still not quite there um, in Sweden, although you could see that it was headed in that direction. So it's not, I wouldn't say it's a surprise, but but just sort of generally feeling like there is nothing you can do that will ever allow you to kind of be part of society and contribute here. You're always going to be at least one step behind or kind of half out the door. That's not a nice feeling. And and then, of course, especially now with the political change and stuff, that, that it's kind of doubling down on that. That was Kashyap Harasamadram, one of the more than 500 people who responded to our survey. James, are you surprised by the results we've seen and what people are telling us? I was shocked, but I wouldn't say I was surprised because I have heard this before. I thought perhaps the the, the number of people who responded saying these things surprised me, perhaps. But unfortunately, no. Yeah. Otherwise. And a lot of people have left quite detailed comments and um, the, we'll, we'll link to the article in the show notes because it really, really is worth reading. It's a very in-depth look at the situation in Sweden today. These are issues that have existed for a long time, but what people are telling us is that they've been exacerbated by the election results and it really is worth people spending a few minutes just to, t- to take it in. I think particularly if you're not a person of colour, because it might be shocking and quite revealing to you to, to see what people are experiencing and that you might not be aware of. Yeah, there were quite a few people that actually brought that up. People that um, were either married or kind of partners or friends with with people of colour that were saying like, I completely understand how Swedes think this is all kind of made up because I walk around Sweden looking Swedish and have never experienced any issues. But as soon as I got a Asian girlfriend or as soon as I married my Syrian husband or whatever, I've seen the difference in how people are treated. Like there was a lot of people that were saying like, I completely get how Swedes think this is all a lie. 
because I it's like two separate worlds. It's so it's heartbreaking to hear about these results that you all have gotten. Again, echoing James, not surprised, but really disappointed in in that this is such a salient experience for many people who live here. Um, and yeah, I think the government needs to really face this and and reckon with the fact that there exists racism in this country and that the policies that they put forth will only go on to enable people like my attackers. And it's all connected. Like my attackers will be enabled by them and then the policies will continue veering off in that direction as well um, because people will start voting for this stuff. Um, And so I think it really starts from, you know, getting out of denial and just educating themselves um, and educating the children that are growing up here that this is not okay. And telling, like, you know, educating people to let them know that if you are a young person of color here, this is also not okay. This should not be what you expect to grow up with. Um, And that we need to, the society needs to further advance its discourse around race and racism to get to a point where people feel comfortable to stand up for themselves. And people also know that you cannot attack or harass people just because they look different. I think one thing that I have been surprised by this whole thing is that there has been deafening silence from politicians. I get that they maybe haven't seen our article, but surely they've seen Kat's tweets. And just like Nushi Dadgostar, the leader of the of the left party, she had enough time to tweet twice about this snake in Sweden that had escaped, but like not one word about people experiencing racial abuse. I understand that people, that, that politicians who can't verify um, something they read on Twitter, find it sort of uh, uh, nervous about getting about diving into a debate, apart from, apart from obviously those 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 who've actually dived into it and, <laughs> and t- told Kat that she's lying. Um, but but I think, you know, now that we and also Dargan's ETC have looked into this, and I think we've done enough to verify that what Kat is saying is true and is not, and it's not just Kat, I think they should respond. And I think they should be talking about this. I think where Sweden stands out is not in the existence of racism or the experience of racism that people of colour have in Sweden. It's it's in the absolutely non-existent discussion about it amongst the rest of society. And it's it's the low level of uh, of acceptance and recognition of, of the problem. I, I, it's just, I think Sweden is way behind. Decades behind what it is in the US or the UK, and, and which is understandable because, you know, my country, the United States, has had such an, a long and ugly legacy of racism, you know, starting from like the indigenous people being uprooted and, and slavery and, you know, Asian immigrants coming to the States to work on the, the train, uh, the railroads, I mean. There's been such a long history of this. And with that, with that history of racism, we've also had a long history of civil rights movements and, you know, advancements. So, it is understandable that in the U.S., growing up as an Asian American or as a person of color there, we have armed ourselves with this kind of expanded vocabulary to talk about this and to fight for our own rights because we've inherited that from our ancestors who fought for their rights. Meanwhile, Sweden has only, what, like three, four generations of people of color here? like Max, yeah. Max. And so they're still kind of like, I think they're still kind of in their puberty phase of like figuring out, you know, how do we talk about this? Uh, so it's clear, as we've spoken about, that the new government is causing a lot of foreigners to reconsider their futures in Sweden. But what's likely to happen in four years' time if this new government is voted out of office? What have the opposition Social Democrats said about the tighter migration and criminal justice policies that the government wants to enact? There's no pushback. There is absolutely no pushback. I can't see 
the Social Democrats taking back power and making any serious efforts to reverse most of these things that the current government is pushing through. I'd like to give Kat the last word. How has all of this affected the likelihood of you staying in Sweden? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I kind of live life day by day. And so I don't think I've necessarily had a plan to stay here for that long. You know, I'm, I'm just here because I have a job that I like and people that I like around me. Do I see myself staying here forever? Not necessarily. And you know, with this kind of rhetoric that's growing and with this rhetoric manifesting itself in policy, I, I think probably that dims down that chance that I would stay here for very long. Um, you know, my time here in Sweden has been bittersweet and it's been good in a lot of ways, but also like knowing that this is all with the backdrop of this kind of xenophobic policymaking and, and um, this pendulum that's been swinging this way, um, it's something that will definitely factor into my own decision. You've got a Swedish partner. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All of us have Swedish partners. <laughs> I came for six months twenty years ago. Oh no! <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> That's how they get you. And that takes us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. And thank you especially to all our paying members who make this podcast possible. You can find links in the show notes to all the articles we've discussed. And if you haven't read the article based on the survey, you really should. Uh, thank you to today's guest, Kat Zoe, our regular panellists, Becky Waterton, Richard Orange and James Savage. I'm Paul Amani and we'll be back again with another episode of Sweden in Focus next Saturday. Until then, take care. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage. <laughs>